Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to grab them and turn with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Since you had an extra hour of sleep, we're going to go an extra hour of Bible study this morning. No, just kidding, just kidding. The World Series is over, so you don't have to get back to anything, but, uh, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe you're sad about that, but which is really cool. We are going to be continuing our study through the Gospel of Mark, a series uh, that we have been going through looking at Jesus as the servant Savior. Because in Mark's Gospel, if you're not familiar with it, it's part of the, the, um, the, the Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And basically the word Gospel means good news. And so uh, Mark is presenting Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ, and uh, we're looking at him as, as a servant. In fact, the theme and the key verse of the Gospel of Mark was something that we studied last week at the end of chapter 10, which Jesus said, the Son of Man, speaking of himself, has come not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, the word ransom is uh, basically a word to pay. So when you pay a ransom, you are paying something in order to release someone. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. He was the ransom. He was the payment. We're going to see that, actually, as uh, we go through this chapter, looking at chapter 11, continuing the story. And in fact, we have moved into a very important transition in the Gospel of Mark. Because now we're looking and beginning the last week of Jesus' life on earth. So we're looking at the last seven days of his life. And Jesus continues this theme of being the servant of all, and reinforcing that not only to his disciples and his teaching, but also through the life that he is living. And we talked about last week how the life of significance that you and I get is based on the level of service that we give. That Jesus says, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, learn to be a servant of all. And I like that Jesus said learn because that's something that I need a lot of work at. It's not easy to be a servant and to come under and to encourage and build up and lift up other people, but to come under Uh, others in order to lift them up. And Jesus basically says that high stature in heaven comes from low status on earth. That doesn't mean that we don't have positions of influence, but it it means a condition of the heart, that we're not lording over, as Jesus said, the system of the world. The system of the world says, well, if I have these things and if if I climb this ladder, if I achieve these things, then there is great success. But Jesus says the complete opposite, to be a servant of all really is, is greatness in the kingdom of heaven. And so this theme continues on into looking at the humble king who is presented in Mark chapter 11. And we say humble king because in these verses we read about Jesus entering into Jerusalem. And uh, this is uh, called the triumphal entry. Usually we would read these or, or study these on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. And this is where Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey. So we're going to read through these verses looking at the humble king. But the point that we want to remember today as we read through and study this chapter is that Jesus brings hopeful salvation as a humble servant. Now, salvation in a couple of senses. One is the people who are celebrating Jesus coming into Jerusalem in this text are expecting and hoping for a conquering king. 
Now, Jesus is the conquering king, but before he came as the conquering king, he first came as the suffering servant, the humble servant of God. And so there's always been a bit of misunderstanding of Jesus' identity. And what's interesting about this transition in the Gospel of Mark is that up until this point, Jesus has been healing people and delivering people, and he's always told them to keep quiet. He's always said, don't say anything. And now this is the time. The time has come for Jesus' real identity to be heard and to be celebrated as he comes in. And we're going to see this in four simple ways. Just a very simple outline for us. One is we're going to see the celebration of Jesus as he enters Jerusalem. Second, we're going to see Jesus cleanse the temple of this spiritual cleansing. He's going to say, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Thirdly, we're going to see uh, Jesus curse a tree, which is quite fascinating. He's also going to use this as an opportunity to teach his disciples a spiritual principle. I think it's something that we can take away as well today. And then lastly, we're going to see a conflict that Jesus has with the Pharisees, the scribes, and the elders. And they're going to question his authority. And so um, a lot to get to, jumping into Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, that's Jesus and the disciples, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside of the street, and they loosed it. And some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing, loosening the colt? And they spoke to him and said, Just as Jesus had commanded them, so they let them go. And then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then those who went before and those who followed This is a large crowd following Jesus saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Everyone say Hosanna. So this word basically means save us now. They are proclaiming actually a prophecy in the Old Testament, which is coming from Psalm 118. And uh, we'll talk about that here in a few minutes. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. Now that's important because there's been a couple of titles used to describe Jesus, the Son of Man. At the end of this last chapter, last week, we saw blind Bartimaeus cry out to Jesus as he walked by, saying, "Uh, Son of David, have mercy upon me. We also see Peter in Caesarea Philippi when Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? And Jesus said, You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. So these are all messianic titles of Jesus. And for the Jewish people, the Messiah was going to come and set up the earthly kingdom of heaven on earth. And... uh, Uh, as well as deliver the children of Israel from their oppressors. And so they are really recognizing Jesus in his full identity as the one. And then the son of David or the kingdom of David is important because in the Old Testament we're told that the Messiah upon the king, excuse me, upon the throne of David, there would be an eternal ruler and leader, which was speaking of Jesus to come. And he goes on to say that this Father of David, that comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. There's a great celebration. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all the things, as the hour was already late, 
He went out to Bethany with the twelve. So we'll just pause there and just make mention of a couple of things as we see Jesus enter Jerusalem with great celebration. Maybe I just want to work backwards here, but I I find it interesting that uh, Jesus goes into the temple and he looks around. He's basically inspecting. He's evaluating. And uh, what's what's fascinating as far as even today is that, you know, the temple, uh, the Bible says that we as the body of Christ are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so for Jesus uh, to be in the midst of his people is something that we hope for and something that we expect today as we gather. Because the church isn't the, you know, it's not the, uh, the building. The church isn't the location. Uh, the church, according to the scripture, is the people of God, the called out people of God. And God uh, promises through his son Jesus Christ to be with us when we gather. That Jesus is the head of the church. That uh, Jesus is the cornerstone. Um, and Jesus is the foundation. He's the good shepherd. He's the, as the book of Hebrews tells us, he's the high priest. So he's the one we look to. And I believe it's in the book of Revelation that talks about how Jesus walks through the midst of the seven golden lampstands, which in Revelation, the lampstands is the picture of the church. So it's just a wonderful picture of Jesus in the midst of his people. And that really is what we pray and hope for every time we gather together on Sunday morning. It's not to go through just the religious routine or punch a spiritual time clock. It's to really encounter Jesus. It's to encounter the living God who's in our midst so we can bring all of our brokenness and all of our messiness to him and he can mend us and and forgive us and, and cleanse us. And there is celebration going on at this time, but there's also celebration because Jesus is with us always. But what's important and fascinating about Jesus going into the temple is that he inspects it. He's looking around. So I just hope and pray that Jesus is walking through. Not only does he have access into every door, into every ministry, into every place, um, because the church belongs to him, but also into every heart. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes because the story continues on, how he cleanses the temple. And I think Jesus wants to walk into every corridor of our lives. And he wants to maybe turn over some things or to get rid of some things that aren't pleasing and honoring to him. But first, the celebration. I see a couple of things. One is the preparation, and then secondly is the parade, right? The preparation is in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Jesus fulfilled many prophecies in his life. And this one prophecy being fulfilled by Jesus riding in on a donkey comes from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which says, Rejoice, Jerusalem, your king is coming, lowly and riding on a donkey. He's the humble king coming. You would imagine a king who is to come and conquer would be on a chariot, would be with many horses, would be full of legions of soldiers all around him. But he comes on a donkey, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy, even as the people proclaim that uh, Jesus is the one who has come in the name of the Lord. So really, Jesus is symbolizing humility as he comes on a donkey, but also the peace. Now, in the other Gospels, I believe it's in Matthew, as Jesus was, just prior to Jesus coming into Jerusalem, he looked over Jerusalem and he wept and he cried out to his father. He said, if you would have only known the hour of the visitation that would bring you peace, and Jesus coming as the Prince of Peace. And Jesus always, when we looked at this Gospel of Mark, whenever he encounters multitudes of people, he looks upon people with great compassion. And compassion moves us to action, and it moved Jesus to action as he drew near to people and ministered to not only crowds, but also to individuals. So he's bringing 
peace, but he's also bringing this sense of humility as the suffering servant who was to come. Now, they were proclaiming something very true about Jesus. He is the one who is to come in the name of the Lord. But they're actually quoting from Psalm 118. You go back and look in verses 26 and 27. If you continue into verse 27, uh, it actually says, Bind up the sacrifice with cords to the altar. That's the following verse. After blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that's very fascinating because you look at Romans or you look at the book of Hebrews in the New Testament and you see that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice who was bound to the cross of Calvary. We see that in Isaiah chapter 53, Jesus was wounded for our sins and our transgressions. And by his stripes or by his beating or by his death, we are healed. Now, it wasn't the altar in the temple that Jesus was bound to. Jesus was bound to the cross of Calvary. And the scriptures tell us that that place was called Golgotha, which means a place of the skull. It's a place of death. And on either side of Jesus, when he was crucified on the cross, he was bound as the sacrifice. He just said, I have come to be the ransom for many. On the cross, Jesus paid the ultimate payment. Now in the temple, the sacrifice was bound, it was slaughtered, and the blood was sprinkled upon what was called the mercy seat. There was the cherubim and the angels, and the mercy seat sat on the Ark of the Covenant. And Jesus has instituted the new covenant. In just a few days, he's going to celebrate uh, the Passover meal and commemorate this new covenant. And that new covenant we're actually going to partake of today in communion. The new covenant of my blood which is shed for you. Jesus was bound to the cross of Calvary to be the ransom payment for yours and my sins. But before he came as the conquering king, he first came as the suffering servant. And Jesus knew before he acquired the crown, he, all, he had to accept uh, the cross. Jesus had to accept the cross before acquiring the crown. And so there is this great celebration. But yet there's a misunderstanding a bit still even about Jesus' coming. The parade comes through. They celebrate. And notice as the story continues, Jesus inspects the church or the temple. And he goes back out. And now there's this interaction in verse 12. And now the next day when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And in response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Now we're going to come back to this, but we're going to read on in verse 15. So they came to Jerusalem. And then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. And overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. And then he taught them, saying, it is, not, is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy Jesus, for they feared him. Because all the people were astonished at his teaching. And when evening had come, he went out of the city. We'll just pause there and make mention of Jesus going into the temple and cleansing. We already talked about how the temple was a very holy place. It was a place where God's presence would meet with his people. It was a place where people would go and receive forgiveness 
of their sins. It was a place where the Holy of Holies was, so the high priests were there. All the sacrifices were happening outside of the temple, which allowed you to go in. And basically, there was commercial desecration in the temple. Jesus was addressing that as he was turning over these tables. In fact, he, he actually, uh, in the other Gospels, were told he makes a whip. And Jesus is just going Indiana Jones style on those who are taking advantage of the common people. And the religious establishment were uh, taking advantage of them by charging them extra prices in order to come and approach God. It's very similar even today if you see stuff on uh, TV or televangelists that say, well, if you give money or you sow a, a financial seed into my ministry, then I'll send you a blessed handkerchief or a blessed oil or whatever it is. And you, God's going to bless you because you've paid this thing and is taking advantage of people. It's, it's using manipulation in order to get personal gain. And that's what was happening. And over time, not even, even today, it's, it's happening. And so Jesus empties the temple here because of spiritual cleansing that was needed. And the temple was designed to be a place where God's presence met with his people. And there were obstacles. Now, what's interesting, you wouldn't normally associate Jesus, Jesus with being someone who got upset. But he really got upset. He was... Um, upset at what was taking place in the house of the Lord because he says that the house of God should be, there should be no obstacles in the house of God. There should be no obstacles keeping people from approaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is even to today, no obstacles for people who are coming into church. And so uh, as Jesus gets upset, it kind of got me thinking about some of the things that make me upset. You know, the Bible says that uh, we should be angry, but do not sin. How many are able to keep that promise? Uh, probably not. Just drive on our freeways and you'll find out that you can be angry and sin all the time. And that's unfortunately the case for me as well. But we see Jesus get really angry and he's upset with a holy, righteous anger. He's upset because people are being taken advantage of. He's upset because the very presence of God is being manipulated in order to control people. And the Bible says that the wrath of man does not produce the godliness or the righteousness of God. And so there are some things that we can really take a stand for in life. There are some, some injustices or some, or some sin or some, some things that we see around us or maybe within us that we can take a stand and say this is not right. And we have a holy, righteous zeal for the Lord. This is zeal that Jesus has for the house of the Lord. You see, the temple is a holy place to encounter God and to receive forgiveness. And if Jesus is the great high priest, according to the scriptures, then he's our advocate. And as the advocate, he defends and negotiates the terms of our salvation. He's the great high priest. He negotiates on our behalf. And he's the one that has negotiated forgiveness in and through our lives through what he's done for us on the cross. But I, I, I can't help but think about how the same analogy applies even to the church today. As I mentioned earlier, the church isn't the steeple, it's the people, right? It's the people of God. And for Jesus to just walk through the midst of our lives right now. And as Jesus is going into the temple, he's also going into our lives to take a look and to inspect and to examine whether or not there are some things or some obstacles or some stuff or some sin 
that are hindering us from coming into the presence of the Lord, are hindering us from having a zeal and a passion for God. Maybe you used to have a zeal and a passion for God. Maybe you used to get up really early in the morning or even 15 minutes early before you would head out and you'd read the Bible or you'd pray. You'd go through that daily devotional or you'd listen to the Bible, audio Bible, on your commute and you've kind of drifted a bit. There's no longer a passion and an interest for the things of God. The Bible says that begins to create a hardness in our heart and we begin to drift. But Jesus here is a, it's a great picture for how he wants to come in. Now this is obviously convicting because every single one of us has some things that God wants to turn over. He wants to whip. Well, I mean, maybe he, Jesus needs to whip us from time to time you know, and discipline us. The Bible says God disciplines those he loves. Well, maybe that's a part of him coming in and shaking things up and getting us focused on what really matters. And for the Pharisees and the scribes, they were really fearful of other people. They were fearful of men. And a spiritual servant leader, that's, the, the recipe, that's a recipe for disaster for a pastor or a servant leader, for someone who is fearful of, of, of men. Because they're going to do things and say things and make decisions in order to please other people versus pleasing God. And uh, that can bring a lot of compromise. And it also brings a lot of self-tension because Jesus called out the Pharisees for being hypocrites. You're looking good on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of deadness. And maybe Jesus needs to come into your life and turn over a couple of things. That's a great, it's a great opportunity today before we partake of communion to just let the Lord examine your heart. As David said in the psalm, search me and know me. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is a great picture of Jesus doing that uh, as he comes into our lives. But the story continues, actually. And we see the continuation of Jesus cursing the fig tree. There's a lesson for the disciples. We pick up in verse 20. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed, has withered away. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he, he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Everyone say forgive. forgive. This is really key because Jesus actually connects our vertical relationship with God to our horizontal relationships with other people. It's very important. I believe Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that if you're presenting your gift before God and there you remember some sort of conflict, leave your gift at the altar. First go be reconciled to them and then come back and give your gift. And so... Jesus is emphasizing the significance that friction and conflict in horizontal relationships can be a hindrance to our vertical prayers when we pray to God. And so he says, forgive even as your heavenly Father has forgiven you. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive uh, these, your trespasses. So we see Jesus emphasize basically faith and prayer in this section with the cursing of the tree and the lesson about prayer and faith uh, to his disciples. And uh, a couple of things I was reading, I just found it 
fascinating looking at some of the commentaries. Uh, obviously, Jesus is teaching the significance and importance of, of faith, which biblical faith means trust. So as you trust God. Now, sometimes we would read these verses and think, oh, well, Jesus will do whatever I want. Well, the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if this is actually taking place, then there is less of Sherwood, right? Less of self, less of pride, and more of Jesus. And so we're seeking the things that are going to honor and glorify him. And so as we ask, as Jesus said, in accordance with the will of God, then those things will be accomplished. There might be a period of testing. There might be a period of trial. There, there might even be a period of waiting. But God is going to fulfill his good pleasure and his good work in and through our lives as we seek him by faith. But it really talks about this sense of having a very simple, small prayer. Like one prayer by faith can overcome many present problems if uh, we set those prayers in focus upon the one who can heal, who can move. We just sang that in the songs about God is able to do immeasurably more than what we can possibly ask, think, or imagine. So Jesus is emphasizing the significance of trusting God and seeking him in prayer, moving mountains, doing major things in our lives that we could not do in our, in our own abilities or, or by ourselves. But I also read another commentary this past week that talked about how uh, when Jesus confronted this tree and this fig tree, now I don't claim to be any expert on um, you know, trees, but uh, just reading about this, that when a, when, a, when a fig tree has leaves, it's an indication that there is also fruit. And so basically what was happening is that there was false advertisement by this tree. And I don't know why. I mean, I can't, I don't understand why Jesus would curse the tree, but uh, he gives it, this as, a, as an example. But uh, as, as, as Jesus goes up, there's false advertisement. Here's this tree that should have fruit, but now there's no fruit. And one of the commentaries said that this is really a picture of Christianity. So it can be a picture of someone who claims outwardly to look like a Christian, but inwardly lacks the fruit that is accompanied a life that is following Jesus. Now, there's a lot to be said about fruit in our lives. Jesus said, I am the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me, and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. Now, there's also a part of Jesus being the vine dresser, which means that he comes in and he prunes and he cuts. It's kind of like if you have flowers or you know, whatever things in your garden. You're going to remove the dead things in order for the nutrients of that tree to go to those things that are living. And the same thing is true in our spiritual lives, that as followers of Jesus, he's going to come in, he's going to look, and he's going to inspect, and he's going to evaluate, but he's also going to cut, he's also going to prune. So he's not only cleansing us, but he's pruning us. And that is never a comfortable thing, to have things cut out, they're cut off. You know, Jesus just in the previous chapter says, if there's anything in your life that's causing you to sin or even to stumble... Cut it out. Remove it. Cut it off. Take extreme measures is what Jesus was saying in order to remove those things that are keeping you close to Jesus. But oftentimes and sometimes Jesus will do that in our lives. And I think this is a, a, a great reflection upon the Pharisees, the scribes, the elders who were looking good on the outside. They had all the brilliant leaves. It's kind of like the miracle grow you would put on a, on a plant. It's like fake food in order to get the, um, the results that you want, right? Quick results. But Christian, in, in biblical Christianity, there are no shortcuts to discipleship. 
There's no fast roots to godly fruit in our lives. It's being rooted and grounded in the word of God and continuing daily and steadfastly in one accord, devoting ourselves to the teaching of God's word, to fellowship and to prayer, to breaking bread from house to house, to being in communion and, um, and fellowship one to another. It's the design of God for us to be in community together one with another. And in that, God produces growth. God sees some of the things that need to be cut out, and he encourages us, and he convicts us, and he challenges us. So this is one example of the tree that Jesus cursed. Now, that's not to mean that Jesus is going to curse you, but he is going to remove some of those things, or wants to remove some of those things that uh, are, are not pleasing him. And then lastly, we see Jesus' authority question in verse 27. And then they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? Who do you think you are? Is basically what they're saying to Jesus. But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one question. Now, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, if, uh, if ever someone asks you a, a, like a really you know, important question, we'll just respond with another question. It gives you an opportunity to think about your answer, but it also gives you insight into what they're thinking. And Jesus does this quite frequently throughout the Gospels. You'll notice that Jesus responds with a question to a question in order to reveal the condition or the motive or the intention of the heart. And uh, Jesus really is trying to get down to the heart matters. And so he says, I will also ask you a question, and then you answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they reasoned among themselves. You can imagine they said, okay, well, hold on. Let me go phone a friend. Uh, let me call in some help here. And uh, they go in a little huddle. They go in a circle. They're asking. They're looking over. And, uh, okay, he's still waiting, so we got to come up with something. And uh, they say, well, if we say from heaven, then he'll say, well, why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people. That is a very unfortunate thing. For all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. So they answered and said to Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So pausing there, kind of closing up our our, uh, our our study this morning, looking at the Pharisees engaging Jesus over this religious conflict. And this isn't anything new. He's been dealing with the Pharisees and the scribes throughout his earthly ministry. We know early on they sought to destroy Jesus, to discredit Jesus, and uh, to spread false lies and accusations against Jesus. But they bring this demand. And literally, as Jesus is settling matters in the temple, the scribes and the Pharisees are once again slinging mud in Jesus' face. They're trying to distract him. They're trying to discredit him. And Jesus wasn't having any of it. And um, you would think that, well, Jesus is kind of dodging the question at hand. But actually, by, by dodging the question at hand, Jesus is divulging the condition of the heart. He's really revealing the condition and the motive. And I wonder if Jesus was to answer 
this question that the Pharisees and scribes had, would it even make a difference? We already know that the Pharisees and the scribes were continuing to harden their hearts against Jesus as the Messiah. Nothing was going to change the way that they thought. And the Pharisees were really seeking to score political points or to look good from other people rather than seeking the truth that was right before them in the person of Jesus Christ. So following this chapter, we're beginning Uh, The last week, seven days of Jesus' life on earth, he comes with great celebration. One, couple, actually just a couple of takeaways for us. We can praise Jesus every single day, celebrate his goodness, his faithfulness as the king, but also as the one who has given his life for us, praising him. But also, uh, I think there's an encouragement in these verses to set time aside to let the Lord come into our lives, to walk freely in and through our hearts and through our lives so that we can receive spiritual cleansing from him, so that he can do an evaluation and an inspection and turn over and cut out and remove those things that are not pleasing him, but also the encouragement to seek as we are disciples and followers of Jesus to align not only our outward Christian beliefs but align those with the inward character of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot to talk about the fruit of, of, of God in our lives. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all these good things that the Lord is producing as he prunes and as he cuts those things out to honor and glorify him. So we have a great opportunity to have that self-evaluation and examination as the worship team comes up and leads us in a closing song, but also as we partake of communion together. The the elements are on the back tables, and so I encourage you as the song is is being played to just get up out of your seat and go grab uh, the elements. They are double stacked, so the juice is on top and the bread is stacked underneath it, so just grab one. Come on back to your seat and just talk with Jesus. Maybe there's something that you just need to get off and out of your, off your chest, so to speak, and talk with him, and then we'll partake of communion in just a few minutes. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we love you. We thank you just seeing the humble king come in to Jerusalem, lowly and riding on a donkey and fulfilling prophecy, bringing peace. Thank you for the peace that comes. We, uh, we can't know peace without the Prince of Peace. And so we just pray, Lord, that you would work in each one of our lives. And as the temple of the Holy Spirit, as you say we are, if we're, if we're followers of Jesus, if we're born again, then we're a new creation. The old has passed away and all things become new and Jesus takes up residence in our lives. Just like that little pumpkin, he shines his light. He comes and lives in your heart. Just like that little girl who went through that tent on Halloween and said, well, how does Jesus get into my heart? Childlike faith. I want Jesus in my heart. Maybe you're not a Christ follower today, but you've heard the gospel, the good news, that Jesus Christ died for you to cleanse you, to take all of your past gunk, clean it out, and make you new. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. If you're in this room or if you're listening online, I want to encourage you to call out to Jesus Christ. The Bible says, if we confess our sin, 
and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Once again, there's no obstacles. You don't have to pay money. You don't have to go to a class. You don't have to go do anything because it's not by works of righteousness we are saved, but it's according to his mercy that God saved us. And it's upon the cross that Jesus demonstrated the greatest love to be the ransom, not only for many, but friend, listen, this is important, to be the ransom for you. He was on the cross for you. And that is what we celebrate and remember in communion today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.